coming up on The Exam Room. This is when jaws drop like, no way, wait a sec. They're missing amino acids, I've heard this. I mean, how many people have heard quinoa? The only plant with all nine essential amino acids. Absolutely. So they basically <laughs> all have all 20 amino acids, including all nine essential amino acids. And the proportions are stunningly similar when I put this on a slide and show it somewhere. And I had four questions about plants and amino acids. And the first, I gave one question with four answers. The first answer was plants don't have amino acids. The next one, all plants are missing some amino acids. Third one was some plants are missing some essential amino acids. And the fourth was all plants have all 20 amino acids. The four senior dietitians in the front row all got the right answer. And the 496 certified dietitians behind them all got the wrong answer. And I had four questions about plants and amino acids. And the first, I gave one question with four answers. The first answer was plants don't have amino acids. The next one, all plants are missing some amino acids. Third one was some plants are missing some essential amino acids. And the fourth was all plants have all 20 amino acids. The four senior dietitians in the front row all got the right answer. And the 496 certified dietitians behind them all got the wrong answer. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hello, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Concord, California, Sandy Springs, Georgia, and Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 82 of season 6, number 478 overall. And today, my friends, is a show all about protein, and it is a show that features one of the leading experts on protein, Dr. Christopher Gardner. And he and I, we have a lot to discuss. For some of you longtime exam roomies and longtime plant-based eaters, this could be kind of a refresher course. But I guarantee you, no matter where it is that you are in your particular journey, there is going to be something in here that you have not heard before. So we're going to be getting into this whole protein thing. Protein quality, plants versus traditional animal-based sources, but also the fact that not a lot of people realize is that all plant foods have all 20 amino acids and typically in the same proportions as well. So we're gonna be getting into that kind of science. We're gonna nerd out there. And plus, he's also going to talk about how he stumbled into this great protein debate when he got involved in what's known as the menus of change. And this was a program that was done in conjunction with Harvard and the CIA. And no, I'm not talking about the federal agency, the CIA. I'm talking about the Culinary Institute of America. So what began with just an eight minute presentation there left Jaws dropped on the floor and served as his catalyst for him to become one of the world's renowned and leading experts on protein. 
And it's easy to see why he became one of those leading experts because he does such a good job at explaining all of this complicated science in little bite-sized pieces like you're gonna hear how he views amino acids like one big game of Scrabble. Yeah, Scrabble and amino acids. Not two things that you would think would get put together, but somehow he pulls it off. So let's not waste any more time. Here now, a conversation with Dr. Christopher Gardner. Thanks for being here, my friend. Hey, I think this is going to be fun. I think so too. Now, listen, before we get rolling on this interview, you guys can't see this, but it needs to be noted that this man's toenails, each one is a different color, which means that he's coming strong for my fashion game. I mean, these are- I'm bringing it. You are, man. You got the swag. I don't so, have the color, but the green's pretty good. No, it's a good color on you, okay, man. Thanks. It brings out your eyes. Okay. Uh, but so here's the deal. We don't want to do a stuffy interview, Christopher, about protein, where, as you said earlier, people's eyes just glaze over as you're yeah. giving facts. But let's talk about it because it's still, no matter how much we bring it up on the show, no matter how much you read about on the internet, when somebody first goes to a plant-based diet, inevitably the question is, where in the heck do you get your protein? from how often do you answer that question uh several times a week hundreds of times a year yeah it's just <laughs> so annoying let's get into a few fun protein facts though when somebody's looking at the quality of protein i was just talking about this with dr david katz recently on the show he was explaining that all plant foods have all essential amino acids on there and it's just a matter of eating a wide array of plant foods, and then you're more than covered when it comes to your protein needs. And then you don't need all of the stuff, the unhealthy stuff that comes packaged with the meat, the dairy, the eggs, the cholesterol, the fat, all of that stuff. Accurate? Deal, yeah, our talk is done. Thank you, just yeah. summarized the whole thing. Thanks everybody, thanks Bye. for being here. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into that though. I mean, like in, in all honesty, is it fair to say, seriously, though, that the quality of protein found in, say, raspberries is on par with an egg? No, no, no. So actually, raspberries are an outlier. I do have a graph in a paper that I wrote. It shows how all foods, all plant foods have all 20 amino acids, almost always in the same proportion. Really? Raspberries are a little off, so I consider myself a raspberry slut. I will, like, do just about anything for raspberries. Okay. Except that's not how I get my protein. Okay. I just like raspberries. But for all other foods, so this is really fun for me. I actually, if I can go back to how I got started in this, I've published 20 clinical trials, randomized humans, change behavior, etc. I've actually never done a protein study per se. But okay. A decade or so ago, Harvard and the Culinary Institute of America started this thing called the Menus of Change. And in the Menus of Change, they were trying to move towards a more plant-based diet. Plants in the middle, meats would be a condiment, small portion, or even absent. And they said, oh, people are going to freak out about protein. Let's see. We have this annual meeting. Christopher, will you give a Protein 101 talk at the meeting? I said, sure, I'd love to talk. Yeah, how much time do I get? And they said, eight minutes. <laughs> eight minutes? Like, I have two two-hour lectures in my undergraduate class at Stanford. Okay, eight minutes. That's all I get. So I did it, and when I finished, jaws were on the ground, and they said, no. <laughs> no, really, that's... They said, can you expand on that next year and do 15 minutes? And then they asked me to do 30, and then they asked me to do an hour. And I now have a protein rant that if you looked on YouTube, you just, you just typed in Gardner Stanford protein rant, probably multiple versions would come up. But here was the fun thing. 
that because I was asked to give this talk that I did, and I, I had never actually done it before. So in all my studies that I do, we have to collect diet assessment data from people in the study. And so we use something called NDSR, the Nutrition Database System for Research. At a University of Minnesota, it's fabulous. And I can find every fatty acid, every amino acid, every vitamin and mineral for 18,000 foods. And so I said, hey, nutrition team, I have to give this talk. Right. Can you give me every amino acid for this set of foods? And so the first thing I did is I took a bunch of animal foods and then I sort of added up each different amino acid to see what proportions there were in a set amount of protein. And I'm going to pick 40 grams for this example that I'm going to talk about because there's 20 amino acids. And if you'd come to some of the talks at the meeting, you'd see that protein recommendations for some people are close to 40. Right. So you'd think, okay, I need 40 grams of protein. There's 20 amino acids, 20 times two. Yeah, I probably need two grams of each amino acid to get my 40. So it was really fun to see as some of the amino acids came out as eight grams and some as half a gram because mm. you need them in different proportions. You don't need them in the same proportion. So right. the thing that occurred to me right off the bat was Scrabble. Oh my God, it's like Scrabble. So I'm assuming you've played Scrabble. Almost everyone I know has played Scrabble at one point. Once or twice in my life. Yeah, okay. So. Think about it, and you may never have counted all the tiles. In, in that little bag, there's 100 I tiles. Say, yeah, I can't say that I ever added all those up, no, no. Yeah, well, I thought I was missing some, so I counted, and I learned there's 100. And it turns out, in different countries, there's different proportions of amino acid, uh, Scrabble letters, because the letters are there in the proportions that you make words in your language. That's why there's way more A's and I's and E's than X, Y, and Z. Makes sense. Amino acids are just the same way. So when I looked at eggs or chicken or poultry or beef, different proportions of everything, but they all had similar proportions. There was always the most glutamate and the most aspartic acid and the least methionine, tryptophan, and cysteine across all these different animal foods. And that the going thought is, oh, animal foods, high quality protein. These are the proportions you need. And so uh -huh. my next step in all this was, I wonder what will happen if I do oats versus grains and other wheats versus fruits versus nuts. So I did them. And this is why jaws dropped when I did this eight minute presentation. That's all I had to show was I showed rice and beans and peanuts and broccoli. And the proportions were almost identical in Get the plants. And this is when jaws dropped like, no way, wait a sec. They're missing amino acids. I've heard this. I mean, how many people have heard quinoa, the only plant with all nine essential amino acids? Absolutely. Both <laughs> so they basically <laughs> all have all 20 amino acids, including all nine essential amino acids. And the proportions are stunningly similar when I put this on a slide and show it somewhere. And this is when jaws drop and they say, but it can't be that there's nothing there. There's this thing that we've heard about plants. And it's there, it's just more minor than people think. So grains are relatively low in lysine. It's not missing, it's low in proportion. Right. Beans are low in methionine and cysteine. It's not missing, it's low in proportion. So as you see a graphic of 
amino acids lined up according to their proportion, for most of the foods, it sort of goes down and down and down. And for grains, the lysine drip dips a little. Right. Methionine and cysteine are at the end. You actually can't see that they dip because you need such a small amount of them. They really aren't there in the right proportion, but you don't need very many anyway. Right, right. So anyway, this is where um, they said, oh, can you expand this from eight minutes to 15 minutes to a half an hour? So I started going through this. I gave this presentation at a conference of the California Dietetics Association. And I had four questions about uh, plants and amino acids. And the first, I gave one question with four answers. The first answer was plants don't have amino acids. The next one, all plants are missing some amino acids. Third one was some plants are missing some essential amino acids. And the fourth was all plants have all 20 amino acids. The four senior dietitians in the front row all got the right answer. And the 496 certified dietitians behind them all got the wrong answer. What was the majority guess? The two some are missing? It was okay. kind of two and three. Yeah, I kind maybe of the more enlightened were at three. <laughs> some, maybe some of them have it, but some of, some of them have to be missing it. So this is really fascinating for people to see that they're not missing. And I think this is largely semantics. They're lower yeah. in proportion, yeah, and somehow they got mistranslated into they're not present, they're yeah. absent, they're missing. You have to complement your proteins when in fact, you really don't because the second part of the protein equation here other than proportion is amount. Okay, so let's say, let's say you needed, your personal requirement was 40 grams of protein a day, which is quite likely. Let's not get into that now, maybe we'll get back later. Um, and you got 40 grams of protein, but all you ate all day was rice. Right. That's actually a lot of rice. That is a 40 grams ton of, protein. of rice. Okay, you would not meet your requirement because the lysine would run out before you made all the proteins you needed. Let's say you got 40 grams of protein, the only thing you ate all day was beans, which is highly unlikely, <laughs> but it actually would only be about six cups of beans. Still a lot of beans Still in a, a day. Beans. That's yeah. the only thing you ate for the whole day. Two cups for breakfast, two for lunch, two for dinner, nothing else, nothing to drink. Okay. If you got 40 grams of total protein from beans, you wouldn't get enough methionine and cysteine. You wouldn't be able to make all the hair, fingernail, enzymes, hormones that you needed. So what is the way out of that? Oh, I got to add meat. No. What if you ate instead of 40 grams of protein, 60, 70, 80, 90, or 100? then it doesn't matter how accurate the proportions are because all foods have lysine and methionine right and cysteine. On. And a typical intake, even among vegetarians and vegans, is more like 70 or 80 grams, and you probably only need 40. Wow. And so it becomes a moot point if you look at that. And so I have another Scrabble analogy for it. You ready? Lay it on us. Yeah, let's bring Scrabble back. <laughs> okay, so let's say that you decided to count the tiles in your Scrabble bag and you have 98 or 96, something like that. You don't have 100 and you look and you're missing the L and the M for lysine and methionine, let's just say. Uh, and so that means you're probably, if you're going to make words in the proportions that Americans do, you're going to run out of the L and M too soon before the game is over. But you have a friend, a neighbor, who plays Scrabble also, or did, and they don't anymore. And they're willing to give you their bag of Scrabble tiles to make up for your missing ones. And oddly, how, how likely is this to happen? They're missing an L and an M also. But there wasn't just one L and M in their bag. There were multiple, right? 
And so what if you take your somewhat missing L&M and combine their somewhat missing L&M with two bags together instead of getting 40 grams of protein or having one bag of Scrabble tiles. You have two bags of Scrabble tiles or 80 grams of protein. It's really easy to get all the L's and M's that you want. Now there's one final part of this. Lay it on me. So the final part is, and you'd have to be a Scrabble player to know this. Right, so hey man, you get to the end school of the us game, up. All get right. to the end of the game. And you've got a bingo, and you are super excited that you have a bingo. The bingo's where you get 50 points. You use all seven letters from the tiles in front of you, and you get extra points. And you can't get it because there's no place on the board to fit it. The board is full of words. There's no place to fit it. Okay, so now imagine you have a whole second bag of Scrabble tiles, and you're toward the end of the game, and you have all these extra letters where you're going to put a... You, you can't. There's The game's over, dude. <laughs> Let the it go, people. board is full <laughs> of letters. And so here's what happens, is at the end of the day, you can't use almost all of the letters in the bag that your neighbor gave you, which is what happens when you're eating protein. We actually have no place to store it. All the protein that we eat is functional at the end of the day. You either have made some cellular structure, muscle, skeletal muscle, or hair, or fingernails, or enzymes, or hormones. And at the end of the day, if you have any left over, it gets converted to carbs and fats. Protein can become fat. And carbs. Carbs and first. Carbs is the priority. Okay. Fat is next. And so let's sidetrack just for a minute, just to put that in perspective. So let's say you ate some extra fat today, more than you needed. All right. Uh, how much of that might you be able to store for the next day, and where would you store it? Do you have any idea? Well, Christopher, you're talking to somebody that used to weigh 420 pounds, and I can tell you that there was plenty of storage available. Infinite capacity. Absolutely, my friend. Yeah. Underarms, belly, yeah. butt, you, gut. Bro, it, you name it. <laughs> everywhere. Okay, so yeah. infinite capacity all over your body. Now let's move to carbs. You're a runner. You're trying to carb load. You want to really run that marathon. And so you've been eating your pasta and you've been building up your storage as much as possible. How much can you store and where do you store it? So you can only store carbs in your liver as glycogen and in your skeletal muscle. And how much can you store? So if you're a runner, you know that 20 miles into the marathon is the bonk, the wall, which is basically when you've used all your carbohydrate stores, even if you carb loaded. You're so four done. hours later, all your carb storage would be gone. So infinite fat all over, limited carb, liver and skeletal muscle for just a few hours, depending on how, you're, uh, how fast you're running or how quickly you're trying to use it up. Protein, completely different, no storage depot. It's not in wow. your little toe, it's not in your spleen, it's not in your elbow. There isn't a physiological space where you can store it. So. You've eaten all this protein, you've got your 80 or your 120 or your protein powder and you added your chicken breast and you made all the enzymes and hormones. Right on. There's no place for it to go and so, and you're really good at absorbing it. So you're very efficient at breaking it down and absorbing it. So you turn it into carbs first if your liver and skeletal muscle aren't full. And if they are, then you turn the protein into fat. Wow. So these are some of the sort of aha moments that I got across in my eight minutes really quickly at that meeting a long time ago. And people were like, no way. 
<laughs> yeah, these are some pretty simple physiological facts. I have a PhD in nutrition science. This is what I got taught. Why don't people know this myth, protein myth? I mean, that is fascinating. You completely took us to school. No wonder you're a professor. I mean, my God, man. And you got me fired up to play Scrabble. I wonder what the protein, <laughs> what the protein equivalent of a triple word score would be, you know, in your analogies. Have you come up with a triple word score that ties into protein? Like, nah, because they're all essential. Right on. I mean, your heart muscle would be the triple word, and your lung muscle. So you really want to make sure your organs work first. Yeah. So if you if you were deficient in protein. Technically, there's a storage depot, but it's a functional storage depot. You would start losing muscle. Right. Because you would break those proteins down into single amino acids and you would build the heart muscle or the lung muscle or the intestinal cell structure that you needed because you can't live without the heart, lungs, and GI tract, but you can live with weaker arms or legs. Right, right. So that's kind of a storage depot, but if you draw from that, you become weaker. So I, I don't really consider that a storage right depot. Right on. It's functional protein yeah body it's a fascinating so thing the body word score would be heart muscle lung okay muscle, that's, like that's that. fascinating man and you know it's just it's kind of crazy i look back at you know the ten thousand calories i used to eat a day and just i'm sure way more fat protein basically everything that i needed and even at that weight i was still like i need my protein you know they tell me i need to eat protein to lose weight but Nobody really said, like, you could be eating a lot healthier things and still get all the protein that you need, lose the weight, be a much healthier version of yourself. And, I mean, clearly, we need to start looking at protein much differently. And um, there's still a lot of work to do. Would you agree to that as far as just changing the general thinking of protein to continue to amplify this message? Yeah, and actually David Katz brought it up today and maybe in your talk with him. So we, the two of us and some others wrote a a uh, research paper about modernizing the definition of protein quality. Yeah, man. So the existing protein quality, I'll try to summarize it quickly, is really figured out in rats, how fast can you get little rat pups to grow? And the two factors are, how much protein are they getting in what proportions and how digestible is it? So there's something called the PDCAA, the Protein Digestibility Chemical Amino Acid Score. Right, right. It's all on amino acids and digestibility. The sources of food that carry our protein don't just have protein. They do or don't have fiber and saturated fat. They do or don't take up lots of land and lots of water. And what we proposed is there's really nobody in the U.S. that's protein deficient. This is really bizarre. At almost every meeting I go to now, although I forgot to do it at this meeting, I say, how many of you physicians have vegans or vegetarians in your practice? Every hand goes up. I say, leave your hand up if you've ever treated a patient for protein deficiency. No one to this date has ever left their hand up. Mm. So we don't have protein deficiency. So if we did, the quantity and the quality would be really important. But since we don't, part of the quality needs to be, ah, oh, we were eating this meat that came with saturated fat and no fiber not good for heart disease. Nope. Uh, we're eating this livestock that grazed and it was eating corn and soy that we chopped the Brazilian rainforest down for so that we could graze the cattle or raise soy and corn. So it's having an impact on the environment where legumes as a replacement 
Lower land use, lower water use, um, definite health benefits for more fiber, less saturated fat. So in this paper we published about modernizing the definition of protein quality, we said, sure, leave the chemical amino acid score in there, leave the digestibility, but please add the other nutrients that come with the foods that have those, and please add the environmental impact because if we don't have a healthy planet to live on, who cares what the protein quality is and we're burning the damn planet down. So putting those all together, what you see is in our new calculated score, beans and legumes and plant foods rise up and meats go down for their environmental impact and for the presence of the saturated fat, absence of fiber and other similar things. Right on, man. I wish that we had more time. Here's what I wanna do with you. I actually wanna come out to you in California I'll bring a Scrabble board. We'll sit down. We'll do another interview as we're playing the game. And okay. we'll just continue the conversation because I feel like there's so much more that we could get into. We can only use food words. Fair enough. Okay, game nah, on. That would be too tough. Uh, no, no, come on. <laughs> that is Christopher Gardner, PhD, the man with the protein plan. Thank you, my friend. It's been fun. That Scrabble reference was epic, wasn't it? I mean, it was so amazing. Somebody like me who is not a doctor, not even a nutritionist, just to be able to comprehend everything he's talking about, how the nutrients are broken down in proper proportions, just like a game of Scrabble, where you have more of the letters that get used more often and fewer of the letters that are used less frequently. Just amazing stuff awesome analogy really helps us understand. I really like talking to the guy. I really, really do, man. Like Christopher is now a friend of mine. So in case, by the way, let's, let's talk a little bit more about protein here. In case you were wondering how much you actually need, well, you can get a really precise finding of this. You can really calculate it to a T, but here's a good general rule of thumb. And this comes from our website, pcrm.org. The average woman needs about 46 grams of protein per day, while the average man needs about 56 grams. And as you heard today, absolutely the source of your protein matters. There was a study that was done in 2020 that finds replacing protein from red meat with plant sourced protein like nuts and beans can reduce the risk of heart disease. You say, well, Chuck, I've been listening to the show for a long time. I already knew that. Cool. How about this? A separate study finds that you can cut your risk of heart disease by 12% by ditching those animal proteins in favor of the plant-based proteins that we were talking about. Even things like bread and cereal and pasta can drop that risk right there. And what's more, we've been talking about longevity recently on the show. We had that episode with Dr. Will Bolsowitz and of course, Dan Butner from the Blue Zones before that. A British medical journal study finds that plant-powered protein reduces the risk of dying early from any cause. And one more? Why not? For every additional 3% of calories that come from plant protein, the risk of dying drops by 5%. So you want to talk about a good investment there. 3% calories from plant proteins, a lower risk of dying, 5%. That math absolutely adds up. But conversely, here's some other math that adds up, but unfortunately, not necessarily in your favor. In this case, we're talking about munching on meat and having the exact opposite effect here. 
23% increased risk of dying from preventable chronic diseases, according to one study when you're getting a lot of protein from animal sources. And one more study for good measure, well, it turns out that people over 65 who ate the most amount of animal protein had a 74% increased risk of dying from any cause and a four times greater risk of dying from cancer. Those are serious numbers and something to take into consideration as you're planning out your meals for the week. So now, if you're a newbie, you may be wondering, all right, well, what are some good plant-based protein sources? Well, we've got a lot of good options up on our website. For example, broccoli, one cup of it, four and a half grams of protein. And that's just the beginning. How about some chickpeas? Everybody loves chickpeas. If you like hummus, you like chickpeas. One cup, 14 and a half grams of protein. Tofu, half cup, almost 20 grams. Quinoa, one cup, 11 grams, and then lentils stepping up to the plate big time. A cup of those has 18 grams of quality protein as well. And then also if you hop over to our website, pcrm.org, and you look for plant-powered protein stuff, you'll find a killer kickstart kale and grains bowl recipe. It's got black beans in there. It's got quinoa in there. And it really makes a protein powerhouse with all the good things, none of the bad. And as Christopher said on the show today, all of the amino acids that you need in your life, like Scrabble, in the perfect proportions. <laughs> So listen, if you feel like you've raised your health IQ by a point or two, let's go ahead and pay that forward together so others can learn as well and sit under the learning tree with us. The easiest way you can do to get this information to those who need it the most, those in search of answers for their own health, is to follow the show on Apple Podcast or subscribe on Spotify or wherever it is that you get your shows. And when you do that, please also leave a five-star rating and a nice review. That does, it helps elevate us in the rankings. And by the way, if you feel like sharing your own story with us, how a plant-based diet has improved your health or how you've learned something from listening to the exam room, go ahead and leave that in the review as well. Let's drum up some support there. There's links to do everything for Spotify, for Apple, wherever it is that you get your shows down in the episode notes. And don't forget, coming up November 7th, Washington, D.C. at the National Press Club, we're going to be doing the exam room live and in person. Our last of three big live recordings this year, this time Washington, D.C. as we honor the Esselstyn family. Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn will be making a rare appearance with us that night, as will his wife Anne, and of course their kids, Rip Esselstyn from Plant Strong and Jane, who is a hoot. And I cannot wait to get on stage with all of them and Dr. Neil Barnard on November 7th in Washington, D.C. at the National Press Club. Tickets on sale right now, pcrm.org events, or click the link in the episode notes. And while that certainly will be a night to remember, if you can't join us in person, have no fear because I'll also be headed out to the Hampton Roads Veg Fest on October 28th. That's going to be in Chesapeake, Virginia. And then off to Houston for the Montgomery Heart and Wellness Summit on November 18th. And stay tuned. There could be one more thing coming up in St. Louis toward the end of the year and also New York City. 
Stay tuned for all of that details to come. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Christopher Gardner for being here, helping to raise our health IQs and making nutrition kind of like Scrabble and understandable and just awesome. So thank you, Dr. Gardner, for being here, my friend. And on behalf of everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.